Well, good morning, church. Lame. Good morning, church. It's Sunday, and we get to talk about God today. Finish up our series in Jonah, the prophet who never got it right. And probably chapter 4 is the one more than any of the rest that he just never really got right. Now, here's where I want to go today, and you guys have heard me talk about this. The ending of the whole book of Jonah is as messy as any part of it, and it ends with simply, but cows. Now, some of your translations say, and many animals. Some of them say, and cattle. But my favorite, because it just says it all, but cows. Now, if you just want to drop the mic and your God and you're trying to help with a story that makes us find ourselves in it, you don't end it nice. You, you don't end it with all of the plot tied up with a neat bow. You just end it, walk away from it, and make the reader ask the questions about what happened. So this is kind of what happens in Jonah. It's messy at the beginning. God says, go this way. He says, okay, I'll go the opposite way. And in the end, it's but cows. God allows us to participate in the work. That's, that's what he called Jonah to do. He said, come join me. I, I've got a job for you. I've got an idea. I've got a, a task. I've got a people. And, of course, Jonah went the opposite direction. But it's a reminder throughout that God's call is irrevocable. His presence is inescapable. His grace is irresistible. So today I want to talk about cows, but first I got to catch you up just a little bit in case you're, you're kind of plugging in for the first time or, or maybe since you've slept since last week or certainly you've slept since the first in the series. We opened our, uh, our story with Jonah as the prophet in the palace in uh, the, 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 the place where he was, Samaria, and God called him to go somewhere, and the place he called him to go was northeast, so he did what every disobedient prophet would do. He went southwest. I wrote in my journal that we have a prophet who is royal, fleeing, mariner, fish food, puked, resigned, preaching, pouting, angry, and he's sort of the hero of our story, but he's not really the hero of our story. The hero of our story is the one who's mentioned most, 48 verses in Jonah, 42 of those verses mention God, 27 of those verses mention Jonah and the Ninevites combined, and four of those verses mention the most famous fish in all of the Old Testament. So 42 out of 48 verses, God is the main character, God's character is the main thing. And Jonah is going to reluctantly admit to that in our text today. So let's kind of dive into it. Chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Where we left off was that Jonah got swallowed by a fish because he went the wrong way. The fish puked him up on the beach. He journeyed to a place called Nineveh. Today we would call it Iraq. And uh, he got there and he preached an eight-word sermon, and the entire city repented. 
Now, I really find that to be the greatest miracle in the whole story. It's a pretty big deal that God caused a storm to happen, that they threw him overboard and a fish saved him. And three days later, the fish puked him up on the beach and, and then he journeyed. But, but the biggest miracle of the whole story is that two different people groups, the Phoenician sailors in chapter 1 and the whole city of Nineveh, 120,000 people in chapter 3, they all came to believe in God. Big deal. Big deal, and that's kind of what the story is about. The, 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 the most unreachable, the most unthinkable, the farthest away, the, 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 the people most wrapped in their own stuff, even a prophet who seems to be wrapped in his own arrogance, they all get to have uh, an experience with a God who loves them more than anything, and as we said, a God of second chances. We are also reminded that there's kind of two responses when we are, are, are called to do something by God, whether it's what Morgan did this morning, and Morgan's an introvert. She hated the thought of being in front of people. But when God calls us to do something, we are either but people or so people. But God, I have this, and but God, this is in the way, and but God, this excuse, and but God, this thing, and but God, this, but God, that. Or we can be so people. The first time that Jonah was called, he was a but God person, and he went the opposite direction. But God, I don't like those people. But God, I really don't like those people. But God, I really, really, really don't like those people. But God, I want to go the other direction. The second time that Jonah was called, after his little retreat in the belly of the fish, he became a so person. God called him, so he went. And so that leaves us, and we're expecting the, 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 the main character, the namesake of the book, we're kind of expecting him to have a, a, a better attitude, a, a little bit of resolve, and, and point his attention to what God is trying to get him to do. Yeah, no. It ends messy. So we start off in chapter 4, the people of Nineveh has re have repented. The king of Nineveh has called for the entire uh, population, including the animals, to repent. And I don't know if animals can repent. I kind of doubt it, but they do what they do. And God has, has blessed them. He's relented from his anger. He's, he's no longer planning to destroy the city. And Jonah, as any preacher would be, was angry. Ah, blows my mind. I mean, it's like a car salesman who, who does the whole pitch, and when you say, yes, you want to buy the car, he gets ticked off. It doesn't make any sense. But we open chapter 4 with exactly that thought. Jonah is angry. But Jonah seemed to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. In another translation of the, the Bible, it says he became exceedingly angry. There, there's a, a modifier there that's going to be used again. He, he's not just mad, he's real mad. So he prayed to the Lord. Now, in my Bible, I drew a circle around the word prayed right there. And then I drew a little line over to the margin, and I wrote it again, and I wrote it in air quotes. Because if you'll read this prayer, it's sort of an I told you so prayer, which to me is a bold move. That you're going to have a conversation with God and tell Him, I told you so. But that's what He does. 
He says, isn't this what I said, Lord? I roll. When I was still at home, when I was in the palace, comfortable, back in Samaria, isn't it God? This is what I tried to forestall. This is what I tried to avoid. All I did was go the opposite direction. You know they're evil. I know they're evil. You know they're not worthy of being saved. I know they're not Why would we waste the time? Bold move. But then he says something that's sort of the key to the whole book of Jonah. The key to understanding. The the key to if you are in a place where there's a lot of grief in your life, where you are in a place where there's a lot of challenge, a a lot of things that are in front of you that are just insurmountable. They seem like they're they're piling up on you. This, This is a key. He says, God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Breaking down some of the words, he said, I know that you are a grace-filled God, gracious, grace-filled. Grace, as we know, is that we get what we don't deserve, God's love, and mercy is that we don't get what we do deserve, condemnation, sentence to uh, an eternity in hell, uh, a, a life apart from God's love and protection. So he says, I knew that you are gracious, and the word compassionate there can be translated merciful. You are both gracious and mercy-filled. You are slow to anger, and the word abounding in love is the word steadfast is a better translation. It's a Hebrew word that's used to describe only God's love. It's sort of like agape in the New Testament. It's a, it, it, it's a, a unilateral love. It's a, it's a love that doesn't need a response. It, it, it's, it's ideally a, a father's love where, where, where there is a, 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 the, the, the attitudes and the actions and the story that, that, that unfolds among the children. That's, that's, that doesn't factor in whether the, the father will quit loving. And this is describing God. And so he says, your grace filled, mercy full, and steadfast. You're unmoving. So, and he says the next logical thing. Okay, Lord, I want to die. I don't know. I, I picture like seventh grade Alan right here. Where something has happened, and, and it's just that, that exasperated shoulder heave. <sighs> just let me die. Just let it be over. Put me out of my misery. And I bet God was tempted. I, I don't know. But no response here. Nothing is said. Take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. God only says this. Really? The translation, seriously right now? You want to die over this? This, this is the thing that, that you want to end your life? I, I don't think so. Now, Jonah doesn't answer that question. So we, we then move into the second act of our, our story where a, a plant comes into the picture, and the plant reveals a divided heart. But, but let's get to the story because it's kind of uh, interesting. Jonah is mad. 
He correctly describes God's character. He doesn't respond to the question in chapter 4, verse 4. Now Jonah goes out of the city, and he sat down at a place east of the city. So I'm trying to unpack this. Why would he do that? Did what he had to do, going back to Samaria, change clothes, back in the palace, eat some palms, I don't know. It's like Jonah is wondering if the repentance of the people of Nineveh was real. Forty days isn't up yet. Maybe there's still going to be a show. Maybe God's going to rain down fire. He's going to have like lava flowing in there. There'll be some like aliens that just start zapping Ninevites. So I don't want to miss it. I'm going to build me a little skybox east of the city, up on a hill. Watch what I hope will happen. Because in his heart, Jonah's still not doing very well. He's still a prophet that didn't get it right. He got a second chance, but he didn't want anybody else to have a second chance. Oh, wait a minute. That's kind of like us. I did this in the early service, and it was kind of cool, so I'll do it again. You're driving down the interstate. You may or may not be going just a little bit faster than the speed limit actually says you're supposed to go. Maybe you're at 10 over. Maybe you fudged it to 15. Porsche comes by you. You see him in his re- the, your rearview mirror, and there's a speck, and then, then you realize he's probably doing 120. And he, he blows by you. He tops the next hill. What are you thinking? I hope. I hope that there's a state patrolman just on the other side of that hill. And I hope he gets him. You're doing 15 over the speed limit. That's a costly little fine. But you're hoping he gets him. You want a second chance. You don't want him to have a second chance. You want to be forgiven. You don't want him to be forgiven. And God basically reveals human nature because Jonah's sitting up in a tent somewhere, his little lean-to, his little skybox that he's built out of plants, and he's going, I want the second chance. I wanted to be out of the fish. I wanted to repent. I wanted to have a chance. I wanted to be, but I don't want them to. And in our culture, we are so angry at each other If that's not the story of Jonah, I don't know what is. I want forgiveness. I just don't want them to have forgiveness. I love this. There he made for himself a shelter. So he's sitting in his little lean-to, sat in the shade, I don't know, ordered Grubhub, ice chest, got his little beach chair, facing the city. What's going to happen next? And it got better. God said, and I wrote in my Bible, maybe he was bald, the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over his head. So not only is he sitting in his little lean-to, there's this plant, probably a castor bean plant that grows remarkably fast and has these great big honking leaves. And so his bald head was covered and he was waiting on the show. So here we go. He was happy. And there's that word exceeding again. 
In chapter 4, verse 1, he was exceedingly angry that God had spared Nineveh. Now he's exceedingly happy over a plant. And you know where this is going, right? At the end of this story, God's going, really, a plant? And so it, he was exceedingly happy about it. But at dawn the next day, so apparently he spent the night there, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Now, the word that's provided here, in some of your Bibles it uses the word appointed. Some of your Bibles it uses the word arranged. That word is used over and over in this story. Way back in chapter 1, God arranged, appointed a storm. God arranged, appointed the sailors to throw him overboard. God appointed a fish to swallow him. God commanded the fish to regurgitate him up. God appointed the wind. God appointed the plant. God appointed the worm. All, all through this, you, you're back to God's character. He's graceful. He's, he's mercy-filled. And he is in charge of everything. I wrote over and over in the Bible margin, God is God and Alan is not. Because I'm like Jonah. God, what about if you did this? What about if you made these people miserable enough to where they'd turn to you? What about if you make them do what I want you to? What, what about, what about, what about? And I'm a, uh, in response to God's calling, I'm, I'm being a but God person instead of a so God person. And so God provided a worm, and the worm ate the plant. It gets better. When the sun rose, God provided, appointed, a scorching east wind. The word there is interesting. If any of you remember the Volkswagen Sirocco, well, Sirocco is the east wind. That's the, I don't know why Volkswagen would name itself out of a plant in the or a wind in the Bible, but it did. And the provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on his bald head, my translation, so that he grew faint. Here we go again. He wanted to die. Oh, come on with the drama. Really? It's better for me to die than to live. And God asked him another question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? You ever stop to think how many times God uses a question to teach somebody in the story in the Bible? Way back in Genesis, he said to Adam and Eve, who told you it was okay? What, what authority did you act on? Where have you been? He, a little later in the same story, uh, he asked uh, Cain, where, where is your brother? Uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, what have you done? In the New Testament, Jesus asks a, a blind guy, what do you want? As if he was saying, are you ready to take the responsibility of spiritual transformation and sight? Are you ready to, to take your place? So over and over, God asks us questions. And here, he poses a little bit of a rhetorical question, but not to Jonah. And he says, what right do you have to be angry? And Jonah decides he's going to engage, and that's where we get this. Everything that Jonah said about God was absolutely true. He said, I, I know there's forgiveness there. 
And so God said, what right do you have to be angry about the plant? And God said, I I am angry. I'm so angry I wish I was dead. God says, don't make me come back there. I might grant your wish. You have been concerned about this plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. It's just a plant. And yet you are exceedingly glad about the plant and exceedingly angry that I would show love to people you don't like. Wow. Shouldn't I have concern? The, the word concern there is really interesting because in some of your translations it says pity. In some of your translations it's have compassion. The word there means shouldn't I have a heart that's broken? You have a heart that's broken over a plant. You, you are so distraught over a plant that you want to die. Shouldn't I have a heart that's broken over people? I am the God of second chances. I gave you one. Shouldn't I give them one? There's 120,000 people there who cannot tell their right hand from the left. And then the end of the story, and animals, and cows, but cows. <laughs> there was an email that I got from a lady who participates in our Wednesday night pastor's Bible study. And she started the email by saying, you seem to be fixated about cows. You titled a whole sermon, but cows. And I said, well, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool feature. And she says, is it possible that what that really means is that God who appointed everything is in control of everything who made everything, is trying to help us know that His love is so all-encompassing that it even includes cows. I just give her a thumbs up. I don't have anything to add to that. That's, that's right. His love is so second chance, all-encompassing, so you've done, so you've thought, so you've been, so you've omitted, so you've committed but you. He's mercy-filled. He is grace-full. Even people who are so uninformed about God that they don't even know which side is which. But there's one more thing in the story that I can't really get around. And that the major themes in this whole book are, yes, the character of God, 42 out of 48 verses. 42 mentions in 48 verses. I also can't get around that God is not telling us that we can do whatever we want, think whatever we want. He, he, he was not okay with Jonah's hate for the Ninevites. He was not okay with the way the Ninevites were violent toward each other. He, the, the other theme in the whole story is that we own what it is that we admit that we do, and it calls us to repentance. The word repentance means we are headed in one direction, we turn and go the other way. Kay Hornsby in our church sent me a story this week, and there were two images in the story. One uh, a girl was trying to learn how to play guitar, and after one day her fingers were a mess. 
And if you've ever tried to learn to play a stringed instrument, you know that, that but until you get the calluses formed, that your fingers are going to be extremely raw. And she said sin is kind of that way. When we first engage, we kind of know something's wrong. We feel something's wrong. We, we know that we've stepped over a line. But as we get more and more and more used to it, our heart becomes callous, just like the fingers of a guitar player. And the story went on to say that the, the only remedy to that is a U-turn. I like the, 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 the term U-turn. And that U-turn is called repentance. And we can't escape that that's a theme. The, the story ends abruptly. As if God is asking us the question, do you have any right to be angry? Do you have any right to be rebellious? Do you have any right to be prideful towards me? Do you have any right to say the I told you so prayers? Do you, do you have any right to stake out your claim as if you were God? I, I can only answer for me. I, I come away from the story going, God, I don't. I, I am at your mercy just like Jonah. You know the things I've done, things I've thought, the people I've hurt. And he knows the people you've hurt, the things that you've done, the things that you've thought, the, the pride that stepped in. He, he knows all of that, and yet he loves us. He is a God of second, third, fourth, hundredth, 70 times seven, as he said to Simon Peter. He's a God of that many chances. And so the best day for us to turn to God is today. The best time to turn back to God is this time. The best takeaway from, from the story of Jonah is, yes, the character of God. God, I know that you are gracious and merciful and full of steadfast, never-ending love. So, I repent. I turn to you and say, your way is better. I don't understand these people, but God, forgive me of my hate towards them. I don't understand this position, but God, forgive me for trying to associate people with a point of view. God, I, I, I want this to be right, but I know it's wrong. I repent. There's a a God of second chances that's waiting to hear that come out of our mouths. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a God of second chances, that you forgive us. And God, we are living in a world that is so angry and so hate-filled. May we grab onto grace that thing you give us that we don't deserve and cling to mercy that you don't judge us according to what we do deserve. We turn to you, Jesus. We cling to you, Jesus. You've said that if we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are righteous to forgive them and that you'll cleanse us. You'll, you'll accept us back like the father in the story of the prodigal. That when we come home, we are greeted with steadfast love. God, help us to be more like that. And if there's a person here who's in the room or who's watching online and they realize that's the turn they need to make, 
Let this be the day. Let this be the time when they say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on that cross for my sins. Thank you for your steadfast love for me. I repent. Forgive me. Help me to know how to follow you. If that was your prayer today, we want to know about it. There are people in the lobby with green shirts on. Pastors will be in the lobby. All of us will be standing around. We, we want to know if this is your journey to say yes to Jesus. Move towards the waters of baptism. Join a group in the church. Be strengthened. We want to know. So if that's a decision that you made, if you're watching online, there's an online pastor. Gary is watching right now. And he would love to respond to you and connect you with some things. If you're in the room, don't leave without finding one of us. It's an exciting journey. So good. So good. Father, hear our prayer in Jesus' name.